0: Welcome everybody to the Giftonomics Project Podcast. My name is Roger Ledbetter and I will be your host. This is episode one. What may be helpful for some background is to lay down some goals or some reasons why I'm embarking on this new medium of podcasting to get the message out of Giftonomics. The goal is this, and and really the goal of every day of my life and of a Christian's life, is to bring everybody closer to Christ. And so often I think it's easy to fall asleep at the wheel when we're at our jobs. But I wrote Giftonomics as a reminder that we are called to be witnesses for Christ, even in our jobs, and I would say especially in our jobs. As a refresher, I'm not assuming anyone has read Giftonomics. Uh if you want to buy it, great. It's on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. If not, cool, cool, cool. You don't don't feel don't feel pressure to it. What I'll provide is just a quick background by way of uh, a high-level introduction to it. And in this first podcast, what I'll do is lay down some Giftonomics uh ground rules or introductions to theories or principles in gift if you will, and over the next few podcasts, just a, just a couple, these couple first ones, we'll be laying down some fundamental principles or ideals that I have uh, for how I approach work and how I, how I view work um, from a from a Christian or Catholic view. But first, looking at giftonomics, it may be helpful to actually step back a little bit in gift and say why why gift works as a principle of work really finds its grounding in uh, the teaching of uh, Pope Saint John Paul II uh, in his theology of the body. And what theology of the body is uh, was this series of talks John Paul II gave in the seventies, and he gave them as, to a general audience, right? So to general people, uh, the laity going in there it wasn't a specific conference he was at. But what wound up happening and and unraveling was this brilliant layout of how men are called to love like God. And it provides scriptural basis and really super deep theological and philosophical background for it. So that's what John Paul did in the 70s. There are uh, entire academies and institutions devoted to this teaching of theology of the body. And, and if I can sum up, it's really hard to do, but if I could sum it up in, um, in a couple of words about what theology of the body is supposed to accomplish, it's, to, it's this, is that through Scripture, God has revealed that man is called to love like God loves. This is found in John, St. John's Gospel, where that, that word as, as God loves, man is called to love. So, first, man has to be capable of that uh, which which he is by nature of his uh, divine creation and and it just has all these layers of ramifications that come down from that from after from after you make this conclusion that man is called to love like God, it means a whole plethora of things in man's life so what I try to do is 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 take this this idea that uh, John Paul II has with theology of the body and this logic of the gift, or this this gift theology, if you will, and I say if it works in marriage, which is where a theology of body mostly takes place, there's other uh, implications of it or or ways to apply it. But if it works in communion in in relationships with married couples and and people of all ages and shapes, uh, what else could it work with? And so in gift I, I layer through, okay, well, what are what are primary actions of God, what are secondary tertiary, what are what are ways in which God acts in which in which this this gift theory uh, could could work and why? And I, I boil down to, you know, there's a couple of primary actions of God. Um, And so, so love is certainly one of them, and I would argue that theology of the body covers love. Why gift theory works in love. Another primary divine action of God is creation, is work. And so if this gift theory, if this gift idea is going to work in love, it could also then work in creation. Work. And in unraveling that, you know, I come to the conclusion that man is called to work like God works. So theology of the body says man is called to love like God loves. Giftonomics says man is called to work like God works. And when you say that, the same thing happens. As what happens when theology of the body states that man is called to love like God loves. It has limitless implications for man's life, man's everyday life, where he's at the majority of his time uh, for the better part of his life and his job. It means so many things to your daily work. So I'll pause. This That's a brief intro into Giftonomics. I'm going to dive into a little bit more uh, a little later in the podcast. But I'd, I'd, I'd like to take another step back and and talk about the reason this is so important to us right now and analyzing what's going on in society. If you look at the way people work, it it's tough to to draw broad categories and broad circles around people, but I feel like work is one of the ones where you really could do that there there are two general ideas to what to what makes a good work life balance the first is a strict reading of work life balance this is my 8 to 5 i'm a weekend warrior uh you know I, i'm not going to put email on my phone i'm not going to take phone calls once i'm outside of the office cuz this is me time right this is my time you have no right employer this is my i've i've paid you your pound of flesh leave me alone right and this is this is this is the 8 to 5 mentality is what i'd say but there's another prevailing mentality that says to be successful you work your tail off you work 100 hour work weeks for as long as you can right and so you know elon musk does this right these are these are these really high powerful executives that that do this and they're very successful they're brilliant men there's you cannot take anything away from their accomplishments uh their their worldly or secular accomplishments brilliant men they've done great things for society in general no argument there but there's a breakdown right e- Elon Musk I used the example cuz he broke down he he went on the Joe Rogan podcast right and and uh you know did drugs right he's he's board members of publicly traded companies but he himself admitted i just had a mental breakdown and and I say that because that, it's indicative that there's a problem there. And so I really I – would, I would draw these generalities. This, okay, it's either eight to five, or, or you've got people who are like, just work your tail off nonstop. Work is number one. You've got you to gotta put it in hardcore to work. If you really drew priorities, work would be up there. And, and what I want to do, what, what Giftonomics stands here to do is to introduce a new way, a third way. And it's a way to think about work in the light of Christian revelation, in the light of this passage in John that says, man is called to love as God loves, and and applying that as to work. By this, if we can shift mindsets and paradigms and ways we think about work to this third way, to this this logic of the gift, this theory of the gift, we can change the world for better, forever. So, so you know, by this theory of the gift, we discover meaning, fulfillment of ourselves and in, in, in our work. And our work takes place in this eternal, this eternal landscape, but no longer is it isolated to the here and now uh, but when we actually join our work to the creation and the creative process of of God it finds eternal meaning it rings eternally uh, it it doesn't stop and that has so many implications for ethics and for decisions and for leadership uh, which we will get into moving on i'd like to then talk about some of the some of the introductory applications of of what I lay out for what I lay out in gift economics, what I'm going to do here is, uh, presuming you're not going to read the book, or if you like what you hear, buy the book and read it for yourself. Draw your own conclusions on what I lay out there as far as a, a a way of thinking or the way I the way I reach these conclusions. So what I'll do is I'll, I'm just going to walk through a couple of points. This the first is this. The first principle of gift economics is really that we're we are called to make a gift of ourselves to others through our work so this harkens back to theology of the body and this gift theory of making making yourself a gift to another person and I, what I do in giftonomics is I kind of walk through the uh a very uh, you know Unacademic, amateur, novel, whatever, whatever the caveats I can put in there, but a a brief history of the economy of of economics. And so, if we, if I can just walk you through that, the the first economy, if you will, uh, the, the smallest cell of society is the family. And so, as go as as goes the family. So goes society, same thing with economics, so if we step back and we before the barter system, before anything else and and so much of this still applies now, even in this advanced economic system we 're in, but think how a family operates it 's worth having a caveat here. I will use generalities and and uh, gender specific pronouns. Um, you know, this, is not, this is not my soapbox to have a uh, subversive commentary on the culture or secular norms or whatever the case is. But I'm going to use generally a nuclear identifiable family, if you will. So a father who works, a mother who uh, supports the family. Uh, this, is, this is not the scope of this work uh, to get into these things, opinions, or whatever the case is. So, there's my caveat. The father's job is to provide for his family. He goes out and he works and and in this in this first family of society, if you will, the very first one, uh the father does everything, and the mother does right the father and the mother they do everything they don't they don't exchange anything with any other family, say they're just on the island by themselves, or whatever the case is, and the father provides shelter. He provides protection. He provides uh, nourishment for, for those eating food. This is his way of providing for his family. And when he does this, this type of nourishment and this type of protection, he doesn't ask for anything back. That is, that is not the place of parents to, to request something back from their children. And when they do, that's abuse. That's not, that's, that's not love. Right? we can we can all agree on that. You know, an even easier way to see this gift theory working in this first family is the relationship between a mother and her newborn. When, when a mother feeds her newborn, I'm talking about breastfeeding, uh, kind of as natural feeding, she is, uh, the, the mother's food, the mother's breast milk is literally her body. It is what her body produces. It is it is her gift, it is it is everything she is in herself that she can keep this baby alive. And she gives it to the child, she gives it to her baby and expects nothing in return. And rightfully so, because all the baby's gonna give her return is a dirty diaper uh, and screaming and, and, and yelling and fits and colic, right? I've got four young children, I get it, I've been through it all. But we can see how Everything just revolves around these parents pouring into each other, pouring into their child or their children, and expecting nothing in return. They, they want nothing in return, um, but this is just pure love. And it is in this action that I think we can find so much of a um, of a hint, of a key to, to what we are still called to do. Fast forward a little bit we move into a barter economy. So in a barter economy, this is before currency, if you will. Well, in a barter economy, um, you, know, you, you, you start to specialize. And when we start to specialize in trades and practices or whatever the case is, we, we generally produce an excess. right? So a wheat farmer may produce an excess of wheat, but he can't survive on wheat alone, he needs milk. Or he needs access to water, or he needs um, clothes, and so what happens in a barter economy is that, you know, instead of letting his wheat spoil, the the farmer will keep as much wheat as he needs to survive, but then he'll go to market and exchange his wheat for something else he needs, and and this is how the barter economy has kind of advanced, but I'd like to I'd like to pause there and say that the the love and the care for that that parents in the nuclear family or the first family if you will have for their children i would i would argue that we are called to apply this same one love this same attitude of love of self gift to the other with expecting nothing back I would argue that we are called to do the same thing to everyone. And that is a high bar. It is a high bar I fail, everyone fails at this. This but this is what this is what only this is what makes sense. Just because you've specialized and just because you have excess does not mean that you get to gain from it. Simply because you know the mother has the ability to produce milk does not give her her right to exact profit from her child the very similar thing the very same attitude that makes the mother and the family successful and and thrive in a spirit of love is what we are all called to do for each other so i will get I will get uh, a little later to. Uh, Some kind of key definitions of of what we are called to do. But I think if, if we can say that the same level of love for the family, we should have in a barter economy in our current economy. And that is this, is that what we give, we give freely. For it to be a gift of self, it must be free. When the farmer gives away his food, or, or provides it to others for compensation he has he that is a gift he is a giving of himself because the wheat grew, but he had to work at it he had to put his own effort his own labor into it, package it tr- you know transport it and and exchange it so something else happens and after moving moving past a barter economy something else has happened we we introduce currency. Currency is a, is nothing other than a practical expedient to the gift. Currency allows us to work faster, to exchange goods faster, to exchange more quantities of good or perhaps smaller quantities of goods. Nothing has changed, however, in the fact that we are still called to give to others as if they were our family, as if they were our children or our mothers or our brothers. We are all called to work together and to provide to, to each other with the same love that we would for our families. This is what work looks like as a gift, and I've kind of jumped ahead of myself. I, I would like to talk a little bit about what what, a, what that looks like. So what does is, what is being a gift mean? What is a, what, is the, what is a gift defined as? And I really think it's, it's three main things. And we could go on forever and argue this point. But it, it is definitely these three things. I touched upon it already. It is first free. A gift is free. It is not – you don't have a gun to your head. Uh, you are not under duress here. It is something giving without expecting anything from the other. This is certainly how God gives to us. He gives us his grace, which is free. And he expects nothing from us because this is how love works. You don't force the other to do something. You give it to them. Now you hope they respond and and they take care of you as well. But it is firstly free. Secondly, it is total. There is no hold back. You are holding nothing back. You are not retaining something for yourself or secretly wishing that you know, it goes your way. It is, it is 100%, 110% you're all in to your gift. And thirdly, a gift is life-giving or personal is what I would say. And, and this, is, this is meant to, to delineate the fact that uh, a gift is between persons. And when done appropriately, that gift gives life. We can see this in a married couple – who, who join together, and, and their love oftentimes yields physical new life and spiritual new life. So too is man's gift called to be an exchange between persons, and an exchange in between persons that grants life to the other and sustains life to the other. I think there's a lot of implications to a free, total and a life-giving or personal gift. Um, you know, I, I'm going to run through just a few, uh, but I think, I think if we can then apply this new definition, or, the, or this existing definition of a gift, a free total and personal to how we are called to give to each other in economic standpoints, this is what has implications that have a, it, there's a lot to be ironed out here. When I go to work, I am supposed to give for free, not expect anything in return. I am supposed to give totally, not hold anything back. Improve my talents and my skills. Give it a hundred and ten percent. Don't take days. Uh, I'm saying, don't take days off. We're gonna we're gonna touch on taking days off, but the, you know what I'm saying? You don't you don't take these. Uh, you don't take you know hours off where you're searching Facebook for hours on end while you're on the clock and charging. Uh, time declines, or whatever the case is. Um, it is also life-giving. It is personal. Our gift is personal. I I am not giving myself to my employer. That is not what is happening. I am giving myself to the end user of my services. And And that may be hard to see when you're a line worker or a young attorney and you have zero client interaction, but that is exactly what's happening. You have to see through that, through that conduit of the gift that the employer is, and you have to see the other side, and, and the recipient. This is this is what makes the gift uh, life-giving because it's between persons, and you are giving yourself freely to your work for that other person's benefit. Now we have certainly worked out our economic policies such that, or or, or uh, you know, our legal rights to claim that. We are owed money for our work. But here is one of the curiosities about giftonomics is that it turns compensation for for services rendered not as an act or not as a matter of justice, but as a matter of charity. Because I would hold that even if you got underpaid or you didn't get paid at all for your work, that doesn't invalidate. That doesn't change the quality of the gift you have given to the other person. And when you say that, that just because you got cheated out of wages or you didn't get paid, if, if your input's driven, if you will, if you're saying, you know what, but I gave it my all and I gave it as if it was free because uh, it ended up being free because you got cheated out of it. Uh, and I gave it as if I was, you know, I was thinking positively of the other person that I, I willed their good. You've done it. You have, you have achieved working like God works. So the, the third principle moving on of giftonomics that, that I do want to talk about. So the first one, right? we ran through kind of some, some examples of um, you know, work as a gift currency as a practical expedient of a gift. This is kind of one of the key themes of Giftonomics. Second, we talked about the definition of a gift, free total life giving personal. Well, the the last one I want to talk about uh, is is the importance of the Sabbath rest. This is in fact so important that I'm actually going to devote a whole nother podcast or a whole nother episode to it. Uh, And I'm going to walk through some kind of practical applications for us all Uh, And quite frankly, for me, for me to to say, for me to reflect on uh, later as well, the the Sabbath stands uh, as um, how God rested from work and how God hallowed His work, and I would hold that uh, you know the hallowing of God's work is not a this passive rest, right? That that the Pharisees and, and the Old Testament Jews get such a bad rap for you know they, um, you couldn't get up, you couldn't light a candle, you couldn't you couldn't um, make food, whatever the case, you couldn't work. Jesus, you, he was, Jesus was accused of violating the Sabbath for healing someone on the Sabbath. Uh, it it was crazy the kind of laws they passed around or the law, laws that were in effect around the Sabbath. But it's very important to frame. And, and understand the Sabbath and rest like God rested and rest like God rests. And so I am going to devote a whole other episode to that. Um, but but what that looks like is an active rest, I would say. And so, so one of the things I kind of break into uh, in a very short chapter in Giftonomics is we are called to an active rest. We are called to think about our last week. What went wrong? What went right? How did we... How did we meet the definition of a gift in our work? How did we, how, were, how was our work free, total, life-giving, or personal? How was it all those things? Where did we not make it those things? Where did we fail in those things? Stop, analyze the week, and then plan ahead. This is the rest. This is, this is, the, this is the looking back and realizing God's glory in all of our work and how God was present in all of it. We have to get through the moment. Turn around and reflect on it to know and, and see how God was present. And to the extent we can, you, you have to stop working to do this because you can't see the forest for the trees otherwise. So, so the Sabbath rest is very important. And quite frankly, with all the mess we have on our hands right now, I would tell you, and I write it in Giftonomics, that you know, the Sabbath is, is the key way by which man will be reconciled to God. If, if we are serious about changing our culture and changing the world and changing the future of this world for our kids, then you will participate in the Sabbath rest. Uh, so, again, I'm going to get into that uh, on a whole other episode, uh, but I think it's very important to kind of set the stage for that. What I've laid out are just a few entry-level ideas, a few uh, high-level ideas on the gift-nomics. You know what? What I'm going to be doing in this podcast, um, in in the Gift Project podcast, is using the principles I lay out in these first few episodes uh, to reflect back to. So I may be in episode ten, and I'm going to say, "Remember when we talked about X, Y, and Z?" And if you need you need a refresher on those, you know, you'll be directed to episode one, or episode two, or episode three. Uh, so as a teaser, you know, uh, episode two, I'm going to be talking a little bit about what I'm going to refer to as virtuous leadership. And virtuous leadership is something that I've kind of adapted uh, and and kind of melded from, from three primary schools of thought that I think are very powerful and very good schools of leadership thought. Uh, and so what I do is I, I work in Catholic social teaching, uh, which certainly is, includes uh, some of the things leveraged by Giftonomics. So the three schools of thought are Catholic social teaching, uh, servant leadership, uh, which is a brilliant book, and I will give all due credit to authors and uh, in, in those institutes. And then, uh, you know, the the leadership principles laid out in Extreme Ownership uh, by Jocko Willing. So, you know, I think I think when you bring these all together, they speak truth. And and there's a way they all articulate, and it's brilliant the way they all articulate. And so what I what I do here, um, and this is not a book I've written yet; it will be coming. Uh, have patience with me, but I, I bring in these ideas and I try and say, okay, well, where do they overlap? Where are they new? Uh, where are they novel? Where are they, where are they uh, repeating themselves? And I try and boil it down to some key principles, and these are these are virtue type principles that, yes, you can overdo them, uh, no doubt, but but you can certainly underdo them as well. And so when you're dealing with over or under or how to navigate that, it takes virtues. These, these are all virtues that, that must that must be done in right balance and order. So uh, that'll be the second podcast. I'll lay that out there, the second episode. Uh, the third one I mentioned it is going to be the Sabbath. I'm going to take a deep dive into uh, Sabbath applications, uh, what we're seeing, kind of what I'm holding out there. Uh, I'm going to try and keep these episodes around 30 minutes or so. Uh, which I'm buttoned up against here, no doubt. Uh, so, past these first three episodes, things you can look for, just as a primer, um, is is reflections on on books, reflections on encyclicals, which are writings of the popes uh, down through the last 120 years or so about work and faith. And it is really to to spread the message that we are supposed to find meaning in our work. Work is important to find meaning in. And, and God doesn't want us to be weakened warriors or workaholics, but he wants a balance. And there's so much messed up and screwed up in this world right now, that if we can figure out what we're doing with our lives in our eight to five, so much of that should, should trickle in. Uh, and, and then once we figure out this, then we look at theology of the body for how to handle relationships. Uh, but this podcast and this project and my book I've written uh, is to really bring our faith to work uh, and empowering you to do so and bringing you some ideas to hopefully make that successful. So with that, I'm signing off. Uh, this is the end of the first episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, if if you liked it, give me a rating, write a review. If you didn't like it, very cool. Uh, nothing wrong with a little hate, uh, a little shade thrown around. So. Give me feedback. Let me know if you like it. Let me know if you didn't like it. Comment on it. Uh, if you love it, I think you'll be able to subscribe to it uh, or share it with your friends or talk about it uh, with your friends or your coworkers or your families. I would appreciate all of that. And that's it, guys. I'm signing off. I hope everyone has a great day, a great week, and we will be in touch very soon. Bye.